Hello, my name is Holger Sontag, and I uh, want to invite all of you to the symposium on April 28th in Philadelphia as part of the WANS uh, annual meeting. The symposium uh, will be uh, preceding the main meeting, uh, and it will consist of uh, major uh, individuals in the spine field that will uh, do presentation, and then it will be followed by an uh, evening of uh, uh, camaraderie, laughter, and friendship. So I hope uh, you all can come to this uh, in this year, t April 28th in Philadelphia. Looking forward to seeing you. This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. <laughs>Hi, welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today, I am very delighted to be joined by Dr. Oren Gottfried, a spine surgeon at Duke University. Uh, Dr. Gottfried has a very prominent social media presence. I love following him on Twitter. He always has some words of wisdom and uh, educational value to share, but of most interest to me today, and I think for you listeners, Dr. Gottfried has been uh, generous enough to come on and talk about some work he does in addition to his clinical work and academic work as a neurosurgeon. He's actually one of the rare few who does consulting work uh, in media for movies and television shows about medicine and about neurosurgery. And that's what we're going to uh, talk about today, because I have just been dying to get a peek behind the curtain of that world and figure out how do you get started? What is it like working with the media types and all those good things? But Dr. Gottfried, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you say hello to our listeners? Oh, well, thank you for the very kind introduction. And I'm I was looking forward to be able to speak to you about this topic and learn more about you as well. Great. So why don't we just kind of set the stage for this conversation? And, you know, the biggest question I've always had is, how does somebody get started in this kind of work? So maybe lay that foundation for us. You know, you're a neurosurgeon, you're out there working, you're publishing papers, you're taking care of patients. What's the first step that connects a working neurosurgeon with a screenwriter or a producer, I, I don't even know who your first contact is. How do you get your foot in the door with uh, TV and media consultancy? Yeah, I'm happy to answer that. I mean, in general, I would lay out a foundation of what the most standard way is, because I do feel my particular entry was an exception to the rule. And um, in general, I just received a phone call from a screenwriter who happened to be a medical doctor. He had graduated from Duke University, and he thought, who better than to try to grab as a help for a script he was working on than a fellow you know, Duke University employee or mm -hmm. graduate? So I received a cold call and immediately bonded with the person as well as with the concept that I could use my medical knowledge to try to enhance what is... Um, portrayed on TV. Um, in general, I kept up with that particular discussion and that person, and one thing led to another, and I was able to work on multiple different shows over the last 12 years. Um, as well, I do get the question often from different doctors, nurses, clinicians, through direct messaging or email or through um, mutual contacts of how do I get started? And in addition to just organically building my TV practice, per se, um, I've also been a volunteer at an organization called Hollywood Health and Society, HHS. 
And I would encourage everyone to go to their website, look at their social media presentation. But what it is, is a nonprofit organization. It's housed out of University of Southern California, USC in California. And um, basically, they work with writers, media, and clinicians to kind of unite the two. And when someone has a question about a neurology disease, they might you know, go to a neurologist when they have a question about a neurosurgical disease, I'm one of the points of reference. I do know that there are more ass than people, and they certainly could use anybody that listens to your podcast to volunteer. I would advise that it takes some time to first get called, but if you do really well, and I'm happy during this podcast to tell each of the listeners how to do well, but if you do really well for this group, they'll connect you with multiple writers and the expectation is you just provide some creative input and some technical reality and some medical knowledge. And it's a lot of fun. It doesn't result in any credits or pay, but it, it's a foot in the door. So I think the best route is volunteering for this organization. And there are a few others, but I found that this one is kind of the best of the best. That's phenomenal. We'll make sure to link to their website in the episode show notes so everybody can find it. And I definitely want to talk with you before we finish about some of those tips you mentioned for how to start off well and perform well for anyone who wants to get involved in this space and, and while they're starting out. Um, I, you, know, you mentioned you've been doing this for 12 years. Are you able to tell us any of the shows that you've worked for, any, any particular points of pride or things that you really enjoyed in this time that you were a consultant for? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in general, the first major show that I participated on and worked with was Royal Pains. It was a USA show that went on for eight seasons. I wasn't involved from the beginning, but I jumped in on the fourth season and did work for um, three seasons with them. Um, that was my foot in the door. First time working with a writer's room where I was either phoning in or occasionally I would travel to LA and sit in the writer's room. But a lot of what I've done over the 12 years has been by phone, texting, email, reading outlines and scripts and providing notes. Um, it hasn't required me to be face-to-face -face with the writers, but that was my first show and went on after that as well as concomitantly worked on Elementary. It's a CBS show that was a, a modern Sherlock Holmes, and I used my medical knowledge not only to present the scientific reality of the crime that took place, but to help you know the main two characters, Sherlock, and in this case, it was Joan Watson, solve the case. So I was able to use the medical knowledge to help figure out who who done it, who who was the the you know the the villain. Um, from there, I went to several other shows, but most recently, I do help out with Chicago Mad and The Good Doctor. Well, that that's phenomenal. I mean, I was actually a, a fan of Elementary, and I, I had no idea that you consulted for that. So that's really impressive. Uh, I really enjoyed that show. Um, and now, you know, at, as a resident of Rush, uh, very cool to hear that you consult for Chicago Med as well. Um, that's really interesting to hear that this experience can range from flying out and sitting in a writer's room to just answering a text message or reviewing a screenplay and things like that. What What's the range of, uh, I guess, involvement on your end? Like a text message you get, would it be something as simple as, hey, would you ever say X, Y, Z? Or does blank sound plausible? Or is it more just coordinating things and saying, hey, when, when would you have time to look over this script? Oh, no, it could be a simple um, question. Um, all of the writers on the shows I've worked with have been on a 
uh, one-to-one text basis or email. Um, each one of them, just like us, has their preferred communication style. Some of the writers do just call me. I mean, I have all, all their information and we pick up a conversation. I think uh, many of the times it's a very easy issue that can be solved through that one text. I mean, a phone call might be necessary if we're trying to break a new story where the writer has the foundation for the story and the themes, but doesn't know what medical condition to plug into it. And then I reflect on how the medical condition would hopefully even enhance the story and give it new angles and new um, directions to go. So, I mean, a text probably wouldn't be sufficient for um, breaking a new story or I pitch stories I mean, at various times in the season. At the beginning of the season, mid-season, I usually come with a, a deck of 50 different stories. And these are not like, oh, I saw an interesting disease or I did an interesting surgery. These are full-fledged, like this is a 42-minute episode. And these are, you know, if there's six different acts and 40 different scenes, I'm going to articulate some of the big turns and some of the heavier beats and how the character is going to be involved. So as you can guess, that's not a text. That's probably not even an email. That's probably a phone call or a Zoom. I, I Zoom in with the writer's room and with the writers. But um, to, to come full circle on your question, sometimes it's as simple as, we need the doctors to have a diagram of what they're you know, looking at to describe the surgery they're thinking about doing. And I'll literally start the arts department job. I'll like give them a design of what the art might look like. And you know, the arts department for the show takes over and actually makes it look really good. But I might have drawn the original sketch. And it's nice because I may have also pitched the medical story. And I really have that sketch in my mind. So I'm not a natural artist as far as drawing but I certainly can be inspired by the literature and see a bunch of images and then draw a sketch that a surgeon might draw. So it just, it comes full circle that I can't just pitch stories or help the writers break a story and then abandon the story. I feel like I'm invested very early and I need to be invested all the way through production. Um, These shows do have full-time doctors and nurses that work on set And I never want to minimize what they're doing. If anything, I actually, I'm quite proud of what they're doing, but I can sometimes help bring a story full circle since I worked on it with the writers. And I also have a vision of what it really looks like. And sometimes I advise the, um, the crew on set, whether it goes, whether it's props or the arts department or the visual effects group or the actors or my, you know, colleagues that are actually on set, the doctors and nurses. So, I go full circle with stories to try to give it the integrity that it had at its, you know, in, inception. Wow. Now that that's fascinating to me. The very next thing I was going to ask you is what breadth of a role do you take with this consulting work? Is it mostly just character details? Is it mostly terminology or scenarios? But it sounds like you're really covering the whole gamut of the show here and, and that that really just blew my mind a little bit to think that you're actually pitching stories yourself at, at the start of a season. You're, you said 40, you, you're coming with these storylines ready made that you're going to provide to the show, not just answering questions that the writers have for you about the stories and character arcs they have planned. So I, I wonder if before all of this work, did you have a creative side to you? Were you a writer for fun or did you write stories before you got involved in this space? and you've kind of turned that passion of yours toward it? Or since you started doing the consultancy work, have you got a sense for how the plot lines work, how character development works, and you've just 
started developing that side of yourself? Yeah, I would say that I was told prior to getting into TV that I had a overactive imagination. Like I would imagine scenarios and talk about them and often maybe be a little bit embarrassed that I'm able to see, you know, these scenarios that don't even exist and explore things that, you know, some people are just very focused. We're all very busy and all focused on the here and now. But I like to think about the, you know, the, the part of reality that's not right in front of us, but how things could go a very different direction. And I'm not speaking about it with medicine. I like very predictable outcomes in medicine right. and surgery. But outside of that, I like to, you know, think of things that aren't, you know, like a story that's never been thought of before. I have three children. I, you know, they're a little bit older now, but when I would tell them stories, I like to craft a story that's never been told. That was something that I, I value. So when I did get involved, I realized that having a good knowledge of medicine allows me to pick and choose. And, you know, I don't just pitch neurosurgery stories and help the neurosurgery storylines. I actually look at all of medicine. And just if you think about elementary, I was doing a lot of, you know, consulting with forensics experts and pathologists and autopsies. And obviously that's outside of my comfort zone, but I realized the medical literature is very accessible at this point. And, you know, I don't just use Google. I actually use, you know, PubMed and a lot of my recommendations that fall outside of neurosurgery are actual, I go to the original research. I'm not just quoting the pop science article or popular press article, but I'm actually going to the source and, you know, learning about all these fields before I can pitch it. So I would say I wasn't, I didn't really have a, a writing career. I wasn't writing a lot, but as you said in the question, I've kind of realized how these shows work. I realize how writers think. I'm not saying I figured it all out and it's easy, but I've become in sync with them and I understand the process. And when I'm giving recommendations, I'm thinking a few steps ahead. And often I can predict the next set of questions just based on experience. So I'm trying to give the writer the smoothest route to real medicine. And a big caveat of what I do and what I would advise anyone thinking about breaking in is value the story that's being presented to you. So if I'm presented some ethical dilemmas and themes without a medical piece and I'm inserting the medical piece, and the medical piece doesn't fit perfectly, I have to be adaptable. I have to be ready to say, maybe we should change the medical just a little bit. And I, you know, I'm learning on the spot, just like I'm learning about their story. The writer's learning about my medicine that I'm proposing and we come full circle and there is some give. I, I can't just be staunch and say, this is the reality and you have to adapt to it. I'm just one consultant, but each of these shows have excellent producers, many different writers, and many other people involved with the writing process and the production. And I'm just one consultant. So I have to be very open-minded that stories change over time. It could be that I have to pitch for a particular episode 20 different times. And hopefully one of those ideas I pitched catches. But then I'm working very closely through every stage of the writing process. The writer needs me. And there's some writers that are more independent and take the ideas and then work on things and then get back to me with their outline or their script. And there's some writers that we're talking day to day when they're in the heat of their writing, the thick of things, we're actually interacting every day so we can keep the medicine really authentic and, um, you know, as I described. So I'm, I'm just trying as I speak to just kind of give you and your listeners kind of insight into the process. But, um, in general, I found it just to be outstanding. I think it's so 
um, fun to work with the writers and see a story from something I just jotted down in my journal. And I guess your question at the beginning was, you know, about the, that you thought it was interesting to be able to pitch stories. When I started working in this 12 years ago, I just decided I'm going to keep a, a running journal. And when I think of a story or I'm inspired by some of my research reading, you know, reading in the literature, I'm just going to jot it down. And it started out as a very loose framework for a medical condition or a surgery. And as I described, now it's more of a let's pitch, you know, the whole story from, you know, one particular storyline doesn't take up the 42 minutes, but I'm pitching a storyline full circle from, you know, the original presentation to some of the hiccups along the way to some of the treatments, some of the conflict, some of the ethical dilemmas to some level of resolution. And that's how my journal looks. But I've I've counted. There's literally thousands of stories and I do retire a story if, it, if it's shown on air and I'll never pitch it again. Um, but I, you know, I'm always adding some days I add five stories to my journal, some days I add 10, but I'm always staying ahead. So when writers of any show ask me to present, I'm ready to go and I can pick and choose based on what I know about. I study these shows. I don't just watch them as a fan, but I study how things have worked out in the past and what they seem to flock towards. And then I pick stories, you know, I handpick the stories particular to each, um, each TV show. Yeah. You the qualities that you're describing and the aspects that you bring to this work, you're, you're talking about listening. You're talking about paying attention. You're talking about working in with the flow of the story and respecting the process that's there. Those are all qualities that make a great physician and a great surgeon as well as a great writer. And I, I think you probably better than even myself, but anyone who who is a reader of literature knows that there is a great tradition of physicians as authors. Uh, Michael Crichton, famously in the modern era, a graduate of Harvard Medical School who went straight into his author career instead of practicing medicine. Anton Chekhov, even Arthur Conan Doyle, we talked about Sherlock Holmes before, was a physician, based the character of Sherlock Holmes on Joseph Bell, one of his professors who had this great power of observation. And so it, I've always thought that medicine and creative writing kind of go hand in hand because in both cases, you observe humans you make predictions or deductions about them. The, the process of diagnosis is kind of like, uh, and prognosis is kind of like predicting a story for what's going to happen next. And we all write lengthy notes, right? So we, we write notes every day and we practice uh, constructing our thoughts in prose. But with all of this process and, and kind of thinking about these two hats you're, you're wearing now of the creative author who's keeping a journal of stories and adding five, 10 stories a day, at the same time, you're seeing patients, you're booking and doing surgeries, you're taking care of them afterwards. So maybe the obvious question would be, how do you find the time to do all of this creative work on the side that's not generating publications academically? It's not generating RVUs and cases for your institution. Where do you find the time every day to keep a story journal and write and talk with the writers in LA? It's a good question. I mean, I feel like the there is all the time in the world to do what you find important. And you mm. alluded to things that I find important, taking good care of patients. I mean, I give out my cell phone to every patient that I operate on and I stay in touch with them. You know, most spine surgeons really value one to two year data, like to make sure we did the right intervention. I value 10 year data. I love to stay in touch with my patients forever. I like to be busy surgically. I like to have really good outcomes surgically. So those things are important to me, but it's also, I've, 
stepped into this world of TV medicine. And it's also important for me to have integrity in that role that when I complete a surgery, I put my stamp on it that this is the best that I could have done. I've given it my all. And I feel when I finish a story or help, you know, a writer with a particular element of the story, I need to give it my all. And so the one thing that does get sacrificed in all of this is some of my sleep. I would admit that I sometimes will stay up late to read a script, but I also value that I can't be tired for my patients. So I do um, find a balance where I say to myself, I have one hour to do this particular task. I'm going to give it my all, but I don't have seven hours to do it. And so I could spend even more time, but I, I mean, I won't go into detail how much time I put into each one of these stories and each one of these shows, but it's a lot. I put a lot of time into it, but I have to balance the, the highest level item is my patience. And um, so if I have to choose between the two, I will never sacrifice anything in my patient care for the story, but also the deadlines. I might have a script that's due back in 24 hours, and I know about the time I'm going to finish my surgeries or I'm going to finish clinic, finish talking to patients you know, about results, and I'm pretty good at time management. So I kind of plan out the week, the day, the month to accommodate all of these interests. But when push comes to shove and I need to just be there for my patients, there is nothing that could stand in that way. And, and my writers respect that. They know that I have a full-time practice that, you know, you mentioned research. I do value that I do get a, a certain number of publications per year of higher impact. And I do maintain that. I Last year was one of my busy year, years for research publications, and I'm proud of the work. Um, but they value that I do things outside of TV. And they also value that because I'm in the, so you know, so to speak, trenches. I'm working day in, day out. I'm talking to you know, 100 patients in a day or 50 patients or what have you, they value that that just adds to me as a story writer, as a creative. And um, so, so far, I haven't run into any conflict and I've been able to balance it well, but there are days where I'm super busy and I just realize that that's my purpose and to enjoy the ride. Sure. Uh, I think, you know, talking about time management and organization to find the time to do this activity is a perfect segue back to earlier you said you might have some advice for anyone who would be interested in getting into this space. We've already talked about the Hollywood Health and Society organization that we'll link to. And obviously, like you said, making the time, making the commitment to not only doing this, but doing it well, that's the important first step in just getting started. But maybe for any of our listeners that wanted to get involved in this space, if while they're starting out and trying out their first few calls with writers, first few interactions, uh, what tips might you have for making sure or at least uh, increasing the odds that those early uh, interactions go well for anybody? Yeah, I'm happy to answer that. I mean, as you alluded to earlier, being a good listener. So the first step in most of those phone calls is, you know, some general introductions, um, but in general gets quickly to the story. The writer tells, tells you what's needed in the story and gives you some framework. And I can admit that some of the writers have told me over the years that they've talked to physicians. And the first thing the physician says is, that's not possible. That's not something that could ever happen. There's no reality that that ever is going to happen. And that to me is fundamentally 100% the reason not to have the call. Like the, the whole hope of speaking to the physician is to give them a scenario that might be slightly different but not much, but values the heart of the story, but a medical reality that works. 
So I found this goes further um, than just TV medicine, but you cannot present the idea that something's wrong without giving the idea of what's right. So, and right. think about how we value our work at work. Like we're very proud of our work and the writer's very proud and might've spent an endless amount of time to come up with that concept. And that might be the concept that's been vetted by the network, the studio, by the co-writers, by producers. It's not our role as a physician to shoot that down. The, what you need to do is listen to it and start thinking while they're speaking, start thinking of scenarios that you could plug in. At this point, I can keep track of stories pretty well because I sit on these meetings where we discuss stories for lengthy periods of time, but maybe take some notes and write down to yourself like the things they need. And then it's important to establish oneself as more than, you know, like in my case, more than a neurosurgeon. Granted, I love neurosurgery stories, but it's like a double-edged sword because I know I need to hold myself to the highest reality because I have more colleagues and friends in neurosurgery than I do in other fields. But then again, I do have colleagues and friends in other fields and I value doing things right for them. But think outside of just neurosurgery. They might come to the table and say, I want a, you know, a head trauma case. We're going to discuss someone that had a close head injury, but we're going to have to add to the story. It's not going to be a pure neurosurgery story. It might be that there's some ICU care. It might be that there's other um, bodily systems that have been altered by the injury. I'm, I make a lot of suggestions. I think of things that writer, because they don't know medicine necessarily, might not have even thought of. And sometimes I start pitching the whole story back to them, just like they said it, but I'm adding details they didn't even think they needed. It's that idea of not knowing what you need, you know, what you don't know. And so I'm very aware of that in my own life. So I try to, you know, educate the writer on the basics of medicine. Another piece of advice is we can get in over their head very quickly, just as quickly as they could get in over our head about writing a story and that works in Hollywood and TV. So I think it's nice to be able to speak to them as you speak to a patient. I honestly, when I speak to patients, I prefer to use zero jargon, like none. And so my patients say, like you meant, you meant to say stenosis. And I say to them, exactly. <laughs> that like I now know that you know what I know, but I wasn't going to present any level of different knowledge by using those terms. And I think that goes well that I, I value and I have not hit hundred percent. I'm sure I've had patients leave confused. I mean, even though I try to not ever let them be confused because I, I see their faces when I, if I, even if I don't use the medical term, I can sometimes see that things are not clicking with the writers. You know, if it's a zoom and I can see their face, I can see when things aren't clicking or I can see when they're, um, you know, the, even in their voice, they don't quite understand. So I quickly jump and explain things even better. I feel like my job to the writer is not only to have a creative medical story to pitch, but to explain it in a way that not only the writer sees the vision, but the audience the writer is thinking about sees the vision. So they're thinking ahead to how things are going to appear on air. So when I pitch a story and it's really complex, that's going to be complex at every level through the writer's writing and the actual production, like how the actors have to do it, how the set has to look, how this, the scene plays out. So I think keeping things simple um, is really important. So being able to explain and articulate in a way in the language of the writer and sometimes I don't know the writers, but I do know, I might not know that writer, but I know other writers. And I do know that there is some common ways to, to craft the story and how to process things. So I think one will get better with more time, but I'd say that first call, just be really patient, really think creatively, 
really act interested in the story. I mean, have there ever been stories that were so like so different, so unique that I, I, you know, took a second just to reflect on the fact that this is a little harder. Like I've done, I've worked on horror shows. I've worked on science fiction and I have to change my mindset from total 100% reality to working in the reality that they're presenting. And so that's a little bit of a shift. So most of what I do is I need to project something exactly how it appears if I were to walk in the hospital right now. But some of the shows I've worked on, the medical reality is not a medical reality. It's a, a reality that's based in science fiction or, you know, a future dystopian reality. And I have to, you know, craft some stories of how medicine would appear in 50 years if everything went wrong in the world until then. And so be adaptable and really listen to what the reality that you're being presented and then try to fill in the gaps where you can. Hmm. And many of the writers are very good at saying, that's great. I love that idea. But some of the writers are a little overwhelmed by all of the medicine and might not give it initial feedback. So you have to be prepared to try to read the audience, read the writer and try to be the best you can to that person. Right. Well, you know, Dr. Gottfried, I've often said on the show that um, the beauty of being the person hosting a podcast is that I get to listen to whatever I want on the podcast. And so I'll frankly admit everything up till now has been my selfish quest to pump you for intel on how to get involved in consulting for screenwriting jobs. And so now that we've got all the pragmatic work stuff out of the way, I've got two things left that I've been wanting to ask you since I first reached out and you agreed to come on the show. Uh, and these, these are going to be the fun ones. So I've got a philosophical question for you and then a fun question for you to wrap things up. So philosophically, I'm a big fan of Penn Jillette, the magician. And he recently, in the past few years, lost a lot of weight through dieting. He wrote a book about it. But he always gives the disclaimer, this is not medical advice. If you get your medical advice from Vegas carny trash, then you get what you deserve, right? And, and so that always makes me think about medical disclaimers and the appearance of medicine and surgery in what is essentially fiction. And so I, I guess the philosophical question for you is, why does it matter? Why does it matter for something that is fiction and is creative and telling a story about humans and events that happen to be accurate? Clearly, they put a lot of money into being accurate and the writers and the producers think that it matters. You're spending your time, uh, as we talked about, your valuable, precious time. You have a family, you have a job. You spend your time helping to make these fictitious shows accurate. Why does it matter that medical events that are portrayed or science that is portrayed in fiction is portrayed accurately? Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent question. I'll try to um, provide some thoughtful responses if I can. I mean, I think that some people have a fear of medicine, a fear of the hospital, fear of the clinic, fear of doctors, hmm. but they're okay with turning on a show and watching it. And if we project things in a worst case scenario, all the time, or shows are fairly negative, and I'm not saying any of the shows are, but if they were, I think they could scare people from seeking basic preventative care, basic maintenance care. So I think we have a, a role to show medicine. It's not easy. The struggle with disease is never easy. There's a lot of sadness. There are bad outcomes, but there is also an element of hope. Hmm. And so I think these shows project hope. I think all of the medical shows one of the concepts I see, and this is not me on the inner conversation of what the writers say, but this is me as a viewer. 
I think they present that even in the worst situations, there's still hope. Even in the worst situations, there's kindness, there's respect, there's caring for another human. So I think first and foremost is to show that there's positive things, that we actually do a lot of good. I mean, there is a lot in the media about not trusting physicians. Think about the stories that get picked up about you know, the media. There are a few that shows the doctor doing really good things or a cool save. But there's a lot about dishonesty, about the doctors that commit crimes. I mean, there's even a very famous podcast about a very you know, <laughs> bad situation in you know, medicine. And so I think it's the, the job is there that I want to project it in a positive way. The number two that I put in priority is we're not just making up diseases. These are real diseases. And when I'm helping a writer with a particular storyline, I don't have the ability to feel what it feels like to have that disease, but I do have the sensitivity to not do things that are dismissive or over minimize the problem. If anything, I think the examples we choose are to bring light to an uncommon illness or an uncommon presentation of a common illness. I do think some people have self-realization that, oh, that's my disease. And most of the comments I've received over the years is, this is good to bring light to an uncommon disease because people will talk about it. Maybe it'll get more research funding. Maybe it'll generate a conversation. Maybe someone will start a foundation. I mean, there's just so much that could come out of it. So I, I look at it from a level of this is overall medicine and let's project medicine in a positive way. And generally the shows have a rule that they need to pre present the doctors, their main characters in a positive way. They're not going to show them making egregious errors left and right, but it is human to be imperfect. And they're going to show them as imperfect humans that are learning and growing. So I think from a systems level, just showing positivity and hope from a personal level, showing that I would not ever show a disease and not try to portray it accurately. And that's to show respect from people actually suffering with it. Um, and then probably number three is that the dynamic between doctors and patients is so special and pretty much the reason many of us even went into medicine and picked our subspecialty and specialty is because how we interact and how we help our patients. And I think that relationship is essential and vital. And I don't ever want to show that in a negative way. I mean, we don't always have to have perfect interactions, but when we don't have a perfect interaction as a physician, I learn from it. I learn how to do better. I try to do better for that person. I try to do better for everyone else. And so those are some of the themes where I feel like, yes, it's fiction and everything could just be described as, oh, it's the show is a, is a fictional show. So nothing needs to be real. Or it could be that there are all these elements that are real and they're being portrayed in the best possible way. And there's this equilibrium that I'm trying to support where I want the medical facts to be accurate, but I want the creative story to be honored, that writer's story. I want to honor it how it was started, how it was created, how it needs to be portrayed. And I feel like my job is to kind of marry those two concepts. And that's what I work really hard for. Mm, that's a that's a beautiful perspective. And, and you know, it's it's gratifying to hear that the showrunners have rules to portray their protagonist, uh, their protagonists and, and the physicians in a positive light. Uh, that, I guess that's a, in stark contrast to on Seinfeld. The rule used to be nobody learns anything. Everybody moves on. Uh, so that, that's that's a really great perspective to take. Um, so then to wrap it up, the, the fun question I had for you is um, I also am a big fan of Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he very famously comments. He's a 
you know, a brilliant educator and science communicator, but he very famously will comment on science in popular movies and what they get right, what they don't get right. And he often jokes about just being a terror when he goes to see a new science fiction movie with his friends and family, and they're always afraid to hear him opine and hear him groan depending on what happens on the screen. So I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about what your whole experience working with screenwriters has done to your experience as an audience member. How has it changed when you watch television or movies that portray anything medical or neurosurgical? And if you could, I, I was hoping I could ask you to give maybe not your favorite and least favorite, but a best and worst uh, example of portraying medicine or neuro neurosurgery in media that might come to mind. For example, I'll, I'll give you mine, and, and I might take the chip shot away from you, but Doctor Strange, the Marvel movie that came out a few years ago, in an opening scene, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange is going into surgery, and you know he scrubs his hands, then pulls up his mask with his hands. We would never do that. He goes in to do the surgery, and he's trying to take a bullet out of someone's brain and the imaging system is down. So he freehand pulls it out with a pituitary. I, I was in stitches watching the scene and talking about it with my friends, some in medicine, some in not who didn't know what was wrong or what was right with that scene. And then on the other hand, I just rewatched heat, the Michael Mann movie with my brother last weekend. And I remember towards the end, there's a scene where young Natalie Portman is brought to the hospital and this isn't neurosurgical, but it's an emergency. And the trauma physician is there. The ER physician is there. The whole team runs up. And I remember as they're preparing to intubate her, the lead physician running the code turns over his shoulder and he yells, hey, call x-ray for the post-intubation scan so we can get moving. And I turned to my brother and said, wow, that's a great little detail. Because in a situation like this, waiting for the x-ray tech to come and shoot a film so you know the tube's in position so you can get to surgery... That could take five minutes, 15 minutes. And so this guy's thinking ahead enough to call the x-ray tech now. He's going to save himself 10 minutes and get this girl to the OR sooner. That's a great little detail that someone like you, Dr. Gottfried, probably gave the screenwriters to throw in for his dialogue. So I wonder if there are any examples of really good or less good uh, writing like that that can come to your mind. And then if you could just talk a little bit about how this has changed your experience watching TV, watching uh, movies when medicine and neurosurgery come on the screen. Yeah, I'm happy to. So you mentioned the the person that you know, you know reviews science, but his strength is his capacity to explain very complex concepts in very simple terms. So yeah. I mean, that's someone that really understands. I mean, I watch videos where he's describing you know how waves work. You know how just things that we take for granted. We could look at a wave coming in and coming out, but he explains why it goes out, why it comes in. So. I mean, he's in a unique ability to be able to explain things that we probably don't even fundamentally understand. In stark contrast, any doctor, any nurse, any clinician could turn on a show and literally write a thesis on all the things they didn't like. Um, <laughs> I, I've been inspired by those. Um, I actually keep really good notes. So, I mean, not only do I keep a journal, but when I actually consult on shows, I have notes. And I just keep my notes kind of for fun because if it, I sometimes get comments on social media, um, I get emails, I, people reach out and tell me what something they don't like. And then I, I often take it as a challenge to, one, explore what did you like? Like, go watch a show. And it would be tough to say a show that I participated on didn't get a lot of those comments right, like about getting a post-intubation x-ray. So there's actually a lot of things that we got right 
But what people are upset about is the thing we didn't get right. But the thing I hold on to is I actually have notes that show that I articulated a way to make it work. But in the big picture, as you alluded to, this is a fictional show with a lot of people making decisions. And the ultimate decisions are made for the story. And although I'm valued as a consultant, as are my colleagues that are consultants, there's a time and place for the medicine and there's a time for the story. And I have to accept that there's not going to be a TV show that's going to have 100% of my notes. I would argue that if we did get 100% of the medicine right, we've probably um, rejected the story and we've moved past the story and just decided to make a, make a medical documentary or a, a scientific presentation. So I have to accept that I can't have all of my notes valued and I, nor do I want them to, but I'm always prepared if, you know, I don't argue with the person complaining that you did this and that and that. And it's like, yes, I understand that's not consistent, you know, with how we would really do it. But I just argue that there's a lot that we did get right. But I take it a step further. Anyone that's ever reached out to me to comment on something, one, it's my job to kind of explain my process. I think once they know the process, it's a little hard to be mad at the person that's actually working to try to make it consistent with reality. But I also try to get them involved rather than being the person online complaining. Why don't like say I was talking to you, you were the one and I was talking to you. I was like, why don't you get involved? Like I see what their specialty is. And I'm like, we really have a need for that specialty to be involved and put your name in to be the volunteer, be the, I'm just thinking of uh, name the specialty, but I've been, someone's reached out to me in every specialty. I see it as an opportunity to recruit them to volunteer for HHS and be the next consultant because we can all sit around and talk about stuff or we can go and try to fix things. And I don't have a lot of time to talk about things as we talked about. I have more time to actually try to make things better. And that's where I get the most out of my time. So I try to take it as an opportunity to bring that person in and now not just be the complainer, but to be the consultant that actually helps things. And then I know when it comes full circle and they actually get involved and they understand the process, any win is a win. So getting the show to do things like that comment, not getting the x-ray, that's a win. And it didn't make the show any worse. It actually made the show better because it got you, you watched it and you were like, wow, that's cool. That is what I would say. And so it makes this show likable for doctors and nurses and techs. So, I mean, I really feel like if anybody stepped into my shoes and saw the process, you'd be more excited about all the wins that we got. And there's one other element is people turn on a show, not because they dislike it. They should turn on a show or go see a movie because they want to. No one's forcing anybody to turn on a show. And so the people that regularly complain about this show always does that. I'm like, don't watch it. All you have to do is not watch it. You wouldn't have any complaints. And I mean, it's such an easy concept. If you don't like something, unless you're kind of a little bit of a, have a little evil flair to you, like you like to be the person that complains, like don't watch it. It's that easy. But if you watch it, here's my turnaround. If you watch a show, you have to accept the reality of that show. So I know that I would never do a surgery outside of my specialty. I wouldn't even think about it. I would um, call a consult, consult with the expert team, maybe do a collaborative co-surgery thing, but I would never do a surgery that's outside of my expertise. In TV, they can't go hire 40 different specialists. They have their stars, and their stars need to be prominently featured in their show. They can't in return go hire 35 new stars and say, "I have here's the Durham expert, here's... You know, the expert of Mohs surgery. Here's the expert on colorectal. They can't. 
So you have to accept the reality that they're never going to have enough cast members. I know a lot of shows don't have the actual technicians, you know, do the CAT scan or that we know that the hospital would not survive. 100% a hospital would not survive with without environmental services, without food services, without security. But on a show, are you going to see all of those very vital people? Are you going to see the physical therapist? No. But I mean, in my mind, they exist. They just happen to not be on camera. So when we're getting 42 minutes of a show, we're getting 42 minutes of what made it on camera. But for me to justify a lot of the medical stories, there are significant conversations, medical, imaging, pathology, things that occurred off camera. They're in my notes. The continuity is there. But my notes aren't featured in a epilogue after the show. You know, my notes are just my notes. And so my view is you accept the reality of a show. They're not going to have all the technical experts. They're not going to have the full assortment of people that work in the hospital. But they exist. They're just not featured prominently on air. People are going to do things outside of their specialty. But the logic is you can't bring in a bunch of extra crew. And I could take every piece of um, complaints or comments I've ever received and I could justify it all day, but the truth is, watch the shows that give you pleasure, that you enjoy, that you relate to. Don't watch the shows that you know don't show the reality adequately, or you don't agree with the reality. Um, you had asked if there's shows that do it really well. Probably the best way for me to describe the answer is to take shows that are no longer on, because then it's very fair. And it's yeah. I grew up, my um, medical school years coincide with ER. I turned on the show and I found the characters interesting. I found the medical dialogue very interesting and very accurate. I found sometimes that stories aren't always fully accurate, but there was enough of a reality that I could watch the show and feel like this could really be be happening. And so those kind of shows are what I find interesting. Um, But then, you know, I've worked on shows that are not as in the hospital. They might be featuring medicine outside the hospital it's just a version. They're all versions of, you know, just trying to keep things real. Um, in general, the shows that I found that got into trouble didn't realize they needed a neurosurgeon, didn't realize they needed a medical expert. That's the problem. Mm. I mean, in the big picture, if you see a name on the end, the medical consultant of anything, I don't think they were slacking. Like if the show didn't come out accurate, I think that there were too many important story ideas that need to be valued. Um, but it's the show that didn't even need, know they needed one. And I watch shows and they're not medical, but a medical concept comes up and I, I get upset because I've devoted myself, you know, 24 seven that a stranger can call me. I get cold calls from writers and I just pick up like we're old friends and help them. And it's no big deal. But I think, wow, that show could have just called me. They could have done a quick internet search. It says that there's a neurosurgeon that likes consulting on shows. I have my data online. They could see my cell phone number and call me. So I get upset not by what they did, but why they didn't think about they need why they needed me. You know, they didn't know what they didn't know. And yeah. it's just sad because I feel like the internet connects us. It could separate us, but it connects us. And I feel like we're all pretty accessible. So um, when I see shows that could have been helped, interestingly, I use the Doctor Strange example of that I my um, kids enjoy Marvel movies. And I've told them that I would jump at the opportunity to help a Marvel movie. And it really is inspired by the, some of the things you described in, in Dr. Strange. One thing that I would argue that if Dr. Strange lives in a fictional universe where he can like bend time and, you know, there's a scene where someone goes 
asystolic and like he's living in this like um angel world you know like yeah. uh, non-reality so i'm like did that get projected accurately or not you know like i wonder <laughs> like we could argue about that he did use a pituitary and picked out a uh, bullet we could argue that why would you use a fluoro image to work around the brain stem like right. does this hospital not have brain lab or stealth or you know anything you know, like they're using a floor, like how often do you use fluoros for brain surgery? I know some pituitary surgeons do, but it's not often we're using fluoro for brain surgery. Right. So yes, but again, there's just like, there's a battle where two entities not in our reality are fighting. And one of them's, you know, while he's having like, he's asystolic. So obviously there's no reality to that whatsoever. So yeah. they can do anything, but I agree. If there's an easy win, why don't we take the easy win? And I, some of the things you identified would have been some easy wins. Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Gottfried, this has been a really enjoyable conversation for me. I've been looking forward to it for a while and, uh, you know, looking forward to getting some of these questions answered and just kind of getting inside the head of someone who walks in these two worlds like you do and, and somehow finds the time to keep a journal of story ideas for Hollywood while you're seeing patients and doing surgeries. So I know that our listeners will appreciate this peek behind the curtain as well. Um, we'll make sure to link them to the Hollywood Health and Society uh, website, like you mentioned, if anyone wants to get involved. Uh, but Dr. Oren Gottfried, thank you so much for coming on the Neurosurgery Podcast. It was so great to talk to you. I really enjoyed your questions. I had a great time. Thank you. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.